The following program is underwritten in part by Schmidt's Naturals. Smell seriously amazing and support animal conservation with Schmidt's special edition Lily of the Valley Natural Deodorant. Created in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute, 5% of each purchase goes to animals in the wild. Learn more and pick up your stick now at schmitz.com. The following program is also underwritten in part by... My dog Annie recently broke her leg. Thankfully, she's protected by Embrace Pet Insurance. Embrace offers one simple plan for unexpected accidents and illnesses. To learn more, visit EmbracePetInsurance.com. Policies underwritten by a licensed insurer of American Modern Insurance Group. Coverage subject to policy terms and conditions. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. This is not your father's pet talk. Boy, that really ages me, doesn't it? <laughs> we, uh, a little. We don't just talk about your dogs and your cats. We talk about your horses. Dr. Debbie will give advice on sugar gliders, reindeer, pigs. Turkeys. Tortoises. She talks about tortoise. I guess tortoise, is, it, is plural on tortoise, tortoise? Or is it like, <laughs> is like a family of tortoises like tortillas? I, I don't know. Like, we're not going to call them tortellini, you know? <laughs> I would call them tortoises. Sure, okay. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't call them tortoise. I know. Let's see what else. Fish, hamsters. Iguanas, flamingos, uh, capybaras. Is that what they call them? Yeah, the capybara looks like the, uh, to me, they look like a cross between a potbelly pig and a very large guinea pig. Yeah. So whatever animal you have, we're ready for you. And you don't necessarily have to have a problem with your animal. We'd just like to check in with you because we're a whole bunch of animal lovers here at Animal Radio. Lori Brooks, of course, in the newsroom, full of bulldogs. She has a newsroom full of bulldogs. Mm-hmm. That's that's her yeah. thing. That's her bag is bulldogs. Dr. Debbie bring, occasionally didn't bring in any dogs today. She just brought a cold in today. She, yeah, did, what happened? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I just, I knew I was getting to that, whether it's a cold or it's my seasonal allergies or a combination thereof. I knew it was getting in the season when the pollens are all flying and, uh, you know, I just got run down. That's all. Not sleeping well and, you know. I get it. You've been working tough. You've been working hard. And in fact... It's been busy. Yeah. It's been really busy at work. And, you know, you just kind of got to do what you got to do. Yeah. What do you think are the top five busiest days for veterinarians? As a veterinarian, you should be able to take a good stab at this. This is research done by Wompley. They've determined the top five days for veterinarians. Top five days that are busy. Busiest I mean, I, I would say any day right after a holiday. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) The day after the holiday, any time. You know, I guess, you know, Halloween um, is is definitely a big one. Um, And then the 4th of July, um, that's another big one, though. Or or the day after the 4th of July, just from um, injuries. The other thing we've been seeing a lot of, I would say, is just with nice warm spring weather coming. um, Warm weather gets people out with your animals, and we've been seeing oodles of dog fights. Um, Mm. People take them hiking. They take them to the dog park. They take them walking. 
and just, you know, everyone's excited to be out with their dogs and maybe not always the most thoughtful about the situation yeah, that they're well, getting into. Some, Are they off leash or do you know? Uh, combinations thereof, you know. So, you know, sometimes it's, you know, dog parks. Um, sometimes it's dogs walking. Uh, other times, yeah, hiking. We do a lot of, you know, hiking in the areas around our area and uh so you know there's a lot of dogs off leash and most are well behaved but you know it's when someone who likes the idea of taking their dog hiking and really hasn't tested them they've not been acclimated to it and you know a poorly socialized pet in that situation can really set off a problem for other dogs that can tolerate it and behave well well you're right the busiest day for veterinarians according to Wompley, is july 2nd the 4th of july week july 2nd just Mm -hmm. before July 4th. The second busiest day is June 1st, June 4th, July 3rd, and then July 9th round out the top five. And then uh, with Labor Day is the sixth busiest day of the year and the day after Memorial Day, the seventh busiest day of the year. Your results may vary depending on where you live and, and of Mm -hmm. course, what kind of environments your dogs are in. Judy's like signaling me to go to the phones, right? Is that yes, what you, yes. Okay. So we're going to go to, is this for Dr. Debbie? We're taking a call? Yes, let's go for one for Dr. Debbie right now. Hi, Veronica. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Where are you calling from? Um, actually, I'm in Virginia right now. Virginia's for lovers. That's what they say. <laughs> uh, we were driving through uh, North Carolina and we picked up your show. Oh. And um, I want to ask you a question. Absolutely. I have the whole team here for you. What's going on? Okay. So basically, my Maltese has, um, she has cataracts, and we'd love to have them removed for, for her. Um, she, but the problem is she has um, diabetes, and she's also a Cushing's, um, you know, she's battling both uh, diseases. She's got the double whammy, yeah. Yes, it's it's very, very tough for her. But she stabilized. We, you know, um, we have her um, at a good point in the medicine uh, department. Um, it took us a while to get there, but um, there's no, you know, peaks. Or she's she's just very comfortable with whatever the vets have come up with. But we thought maybe at this point we could proceed with removing the cataracts. Okay. Um, so far, one or two vets have told us that they wouldn't recommend it. But I was just thinking maybe I would ask you. Yeah, so I think when we look at cataracts and um, the, the causes of those in, in dogs, just for those that aren't familiar, some, some dogs can acquire them with age. Um, with diabetic um, dogs, they're very prone to developing cataracts, and about three-quarters of diabetic dogs will actually develop cataracts, sometimes very quickly after they're diagnosed with diabetes. Sometimes it can be months or years later. Once we have established cataracts, um, we know that those cataracts leak out proteins that can cause problems in the the eye causing what we call uveitis, inflammation. Um, that can also lead to things like glaucoma and other eye issues that can be problematic, um, especially in a pet that has a chronic condition like diabetes and Cushing's. So um, it is certainly something I like to look at and consider cataract removal if it's um, in the pet's best interest for their quality of life and to eliminate one other thing you know, for the pet owner to have to um, juggle is you know, the lack of vision. So with Cushing's disease and diabetes, um, you know, if those are well controlled, then I'd say technically she would be a candidate for for surgery. But um, 
I'm not the veterinarian on the ground that is examining your pet. So I, I would have to say, you know, I would value their um, hands-on opinion as to whether or not she was a good candidate for that. Um, but in general, if those conditions are well controlled, then it would be something to consider. Um, okay. Her age, you know, she's quite advanced in her age. 14 is certainly getting up there. And, and we always look at, you know, something like a major eye surgery um, as, you know, is this going to give us an improved quality of life for um, a meaningful period of her life? And that is something, I think, between you and an ophthalmologist to decide. Um, I, too, would share a, maybe a bit of hesitation in a 14-year-old to say, you know, let's do a cataract surgery just based on that age. And, you know, if I had that crystal ball and could say she'd live to 16, then I say, gosh, you know, that'd be well worth um, putting her through that and the investment in time. Um, but if, if she doesn't live all that much longer, then, you know, we would hate for that to be kind of, you know, something we do at the, the very end of her, her lifespan. Um, yeah. Have you had her evaluated at a, an ophthalmology office? No, I have not. Um, I just uh, took the direction from uh, two vets. Well, three actually, okay. um, and gotcha. saying, and now you're in fourth. So, yeah, but, okay, um, sure. Uh, they, you know, going under, you know, full anesthetic is not uh, what they're recommending for her. But would there be an alternative um, solution to have them removed? Because I know when people have them um, removed, they just take some uh, sedative and relaxes. You know, they're relaxed under a sedative, and then the cataracts yeah. are removed. Would that be something that they would do for uh, my dog? No, unfortunately not, because with with people, um, you know, we can be reasoned with and told how to kind of behave, even with a sedative on board. With dogs, you know, we cannot have any kind of movement. It's you know such a delicate area. Um, there's just it's just not something that can be risked to be done without general anesthesia. Um, you know, as far as alternatives to surgery, once you have cataracts, um, there's really not a whole lot. Once they're there, they're there. And we do more other things like trying to manage the inflammation from the cataract with a topical anti-inflammatory. Um, if a pet doesn't yet have cataracts or is just in the early stages, there are some things that have been looked at to help um, delay the progression of cataracts. But once you're there, no, there's not really going to be anything else. But there are some supplements, and, and uh, there's one called OcuGlow that's um, useful before a pet gets uh, a cataract or even some retinal diseases. And, and that's been shown by ophthalmologists and FDA research to, to help um, slow the progression. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. I don't think that there's going to be a lot they can offer short of surgical removal and just controlling any kind of inflammation that might be occurring related to those cataracts. Um, mm. But, you know, yeah. you know the best, the best advice that I would say is you could set up a visit with a veterinary ophthalmologist and, and find out the realities on the surgery side. And if that's a no-go and your veterinarians that know the internal medicine part of your pet say that's a no-go too, then, then I think that would help to answer your questions there. Um, oh. But I, I just had a dog, I think she was 12 years old the other day, and she just had her cataracts removed. And, um, you know, that went wonderful for her. So, um, you know, every patient's different, but, you know, it certainly can be considered. Yeah. Well, Veronica, thank Bye. you so much for calling today. We appreciate you listening to Animal Radio. The number is one 405 8405 That number to Dr. Debbie and Joey Volani for a first, second, third, or even fourth opinion. 
This healthy serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats, always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health. You can learn more at redbarninc.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at 1-866-405-8405. And now an Animal Radio News Brief. I'm Stacy Cohen for Animal Radio. A research team is making some new claims that Bigfoot is real. And that came through Adrian's uh, visual sightings and, and Richard's visual sightings. And me and my family, we came across a large footprint in the, in, in the Colorado mountains. And, and so things like that shook your reality. Dennis Fole, he's with the Sasquatch Genome Project. He showed several video clips of tall, hairy creatures at a news conference in Dallas. The footage was reportedly presented by an entrepreneur to promote an upcoming documentary. But some observers say that one of the clips has been around since 2005. So again, we say, is Bigfoot real or isn't he real? I'm Stacy Cohen. Get more animal breaking news at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Red Barn canned food for cats and dogs is grain and gluten free. Hi, this is Jamie Farr, and you're listening to the Animal Radio Network. And remember to spay and neuter your pets. Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. Judy has just informed me that Kitty Cleary, the model and the actress and the filmmaker Katie Cleary, will be joining us before the show is out today. She loves her animals, doesn't she? She does. She has a lot of animals does herself. She? Yes, she does. Are they just dogs or cats? Or We'll have to find out. Okay, that's on the way in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. I also see up on the uh, big old grease board here that there's a call about dogs laughing. What is a grease board, by the way? It's this white board the big over white here. Board where I, <laughs> that one right there in front of you, that's called a grease I, board. I, I, didn't know, know, the name but of I it. don't know why it's called a grease because board. Because you use grease pens use Grease on markers. Uh, so a, we okay. use like the little wipe on markers. Right. Yeah. A dry erase board. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's a dry erase. That's it. Okay. I'm, I'm picturing okay. like chicken fat that you're like rubbing on this wall. <laughs> well, yeah, then it's I can use it to board. feed the dogs afterwards as a treat. So, yeah. It doubles. Yes, it is double duty. Multifunctional studio here in Adam Radio. Okay. Uh, we got to go to the phones. Hopefully you'll save us. Lori's going to do a quick check of the news in about 10 minutes. What are you working on for this hour? Well, the one shot that you have to get, even if you're an anti-vaxxer, what shot do you need for your pet? And uh, actually, you should have all of their vaccines and the state with the most dog bites. Okay, that is on the way. First, your calls, one 866 405-8405, and we go to Chuck. Hey, Chuck, what's up? Well, we have an old English sheepdog. She's approximately 12, 12 and a half years old. Mm-hmm. She's about 85, 90 pounds. Uh, everything about her is great except her back hips. Mm. They're, uh, I believe they're slowly deteriorating. Their legs go sideways everywhere, but it's the way they're supposed to. And they're, and they're weak. 
But yet, if we lift her, she can walk and, and do her stuff and everything like that. And we do have her on uh, tri-buffered aspirin, one in the morning, afternoon, and night. And then we have her on, I believe it's pronounced Cosequin, C-O-S-E-Q-U-I-N. She okay. is in David SM plus MSM, two tablets each morning. We're just wondering if, you know, we understand their age and et cetera. Just wondering if there's any other things we could be doing or medications we could be giving her, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Now, I, I will tell you that aspirin isn't my favorite for dogs just because it, it has been shown pretty much even at normal everyday doses to cause little ulcers in the stomach, even if a pet doesn't uh-huh. get sick from it. So there are some good prescription products that I would substitute for that um, just because they have less tendency for some of that tummy upset um, issues. But besides that, definitely there's some things I would look at doing. Number one would be I would look at getting your baby on a fatty acid supplement because supplementing fatty acids or fish oils um, at higher doses is actually has anti-inflammatory properties. So this is a nice natural thing that you can do. Um, I do like to look at the dosage of the fish oils, not just the total how many grams of fish oil. So different kinds of fish have different kinds of uh, quantities of the different fatty acids. So um, you might talk to your veterinarian, but we do base this off of the components, the EPA and the DHA that are in the the fish oil. And that's how we kind of calculate the dosage. So you want to be a little bit more scientific than just throwing a, you know, fish oil tablet at you. Um, But I would imagine about a thousand, almost 2000 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day would be appropriate for your dog. Um, So definitely I would add that in without a heartbeat. And then the next thing that I would look at um, with just that kind of medication choice, it would be maybe looking at something else that's um, a well-tolerated pain reliever in older pets. And I have a almost 14-year-old Labrador that we're dealing with a lot of mobility issues. And um, she's on a couple medicines that can be helpful on top of what you're already doing. And one of them is a drug called Tramadol. And it's a, a pain medicine, and it's used in it's in the opioid type family, but kind of on the lower end. So we don't really get gorped out dogs on this medicine. Um, and that's one thing that you can add in a couple times a day, and that can add another kind of boost into her comfort. Um, or in place of that, we can even use gabapentin, which for people is actually commonly used for seizures and and for some other types of pain disorders. So that's another alternative that we can what do. Was the second and, one again, please. It's called gabapentin, and um, both of those um, are, like I said, pretty well tolerated, low side effects, and you can add them into your regimen that you're doing already. So I would definitely look at doing that, and uh, and then I always say keeping the baby in good weight is always goes a long way just to make sure that, you know, she's got her mobility and we're not adding, making it harder for her to get around. Okay. So, yeah, uh, obviously else, you're doing I mean, something, you're, you're doing something right, right there, that. Chuck. Well, I mean, you've got her at, what, 12 years of age, um, so yeah. I think that's you've done a lot for her to get to that point. And the reality is with a lot of the sheepdogs is that, yes, they do have problems with the hips, but they can even okay. have problems with their lower spine. So some of mm-hmm. the spinal issues may not be necessarily pain-responsive type things, um, but, uh, you know, Still, I, I would give all of this a good try and then really just be watchful for, you know, her mobility, her ability to do her daily things, potty in, mm-hmm. getting around. And uh, it sounds like, you're, you know, you've got a good start and you can add a few things in. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time and you have a wonderful day. 
Thanks for calling, Chuck. 1-866-405-8405. And this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Embrace Pet Insurance. Providing nose-to-tail accident and illness coverage for your dog or cat. It can be customized to fit your budget and your needs. Simply take your dog or cat to any vet, submit a claim form, and get reimbursed quickly. You can learn more at EmbracePetInsurance.com to get a quote. And thank you, Embrace, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at 1-866-405-8405. Hello, this is Jane Goodall on Animal Radio. And i just like everybody to realize that each day you live, you make some difference on the planet. And you can choose what kind of difference you're going to make. And hopefully every day you'll try to make the world a little bit better for people, for animals, and for the environment. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. This is an Animal Radio News Update. Well, just as there are anti-vaxxers who don't want to vaccinate their children, there are people out there who don't want to vaccinate their pets either, and it's becoming a problem. However, experts want you to know the bottom line truth here. And they say that is that your pets cannot get autism. And even if they could, vaccines do not cause it. Uh, the most common reasons that people give for not vaccinating their pet, about 20% of the people surveyed said that pet vaccinations are not necessary. But consider this, the most dangerous of all dog diseases by far is rabies, right? Which is effectively a death sentence for a dog because it's incredibly contagious and any pet or animal that gets rabies is euthanized. For some though, vaccines other than the rabies vaccine, of course, Tighter testing might be appropriate to determine if a vaccine can be skipped or maybe delayed. And some vets are willing to administer vaccines, except not including the rabies vaccine. Some vets will administer them in small doses, say a fifth of a vaccine dose given weekly over five weeks. But if you have a small dog, don't think that they can receive less amount of the vaccine than a larger dog would. As the experts point out, it is not a weight versus dose question. It's like humans, because when you go to the doctor, your small child and you, you both get the same amount of vaccine. Yeah, that's a great point, Lori. It is. And, you know, I actually will refuse to give a fractional dose on a vaccine because they are not labeled efficacious at giving half of a third of the dose and how how are we going to know if your pet is truly protected or not you've just gotten a false sense you vaccinated a pet for a disease that we may not protect them against and uh they still can get a reaction (laughs) so it's not like you know we're eliminating adverse events couldn't they get that vaccine induced sarcoma uh and if you did it five times wouldn't that increase the odds of that 
You know, that's a good point. And in cats, they're a little different. Any type of an injection can potentially cause an injection site sarcoma. Vaccination, certainly, there's the implication. So there's a lot of issues here. We probably don't have time to go through all of them. But in the volume situation, there is really, um, immunologically, there's no difference between a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. So we give them the same dose immunologically. And not doing that is not following the labeled directions on the product. You know, Hal's bringing up a whole other thing that there's other types of side effects with vaccinations that um, giving smaller doses of that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have a vaccine-induced sarcoma. Um, but there are other things that we look at, like different components, like minimizing the load of vaccines on a, on a day or minimizing the components in a cat's vaccine so we don't have maybe combo vaccines and we'll kind of minimize the number of agents within there. Sorry, there's yeah. a lot of factors here, but, um, you know, I, I do think that this anti-vaccination movement, it, it's really to the detriment of, of pets. And yeah. I, we've been seeing distemper. We haven't seen since I've been in practice for you know, right. over 20 years. And now we're seeing more canine distemper again. Um, we've been seeing um, feline distemper, um, harvovirus. And it's these are diseases that, you know, we can control if, um, you know, people vaccinate their pets. Um, and pets are living in close proximity. So it's really very important to maintain these vaccines. Yeah, and we're seeing this with the human movement too, of course, and the latest news that there's over 100 cases of measles here in the US and in North America again because of anti-vaxxers. But you know what? I'm I'm one of those people that I I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I'm not a pro-vaxxer. I think there's a happy medium somewhere in there by getting the things sure. that you need to yeah. get. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think um not having a discussion and saying that you're opposed to something is um, kind of putting the blinders on and not really becoming educated on what health threats your pet could be under. So, yeah, I think middle ground is always good. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Okay, you should have this number written down somewhere. one 405 8405 Call it whenever you have a question about your animals. And this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Kensington Books. Inspired by true stories of cats who've been caught stealing from humans. The Secret Life of Mac by Melinda Metz is a hilarious and heartwarming novel about an adorable klepto kitty. With a passion for thievery and a sideline in helping animals in his life find the love they deserve. The Secret Life of Mac by Melinda Metz is available everywhere books are sold, and you can learn more at kensingtonbooks.com. Thank you, Kensington, for underwriting Animal Radio. Good morning. Good afternoon, Deborah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I have Dr. Debbie here. What's going on with your uh, cat, dog, what? I have a dog. I have a seven-year-old golden retriever. Okay, awesome. I've had her since she was probably about eight weeks old. But for this past year, we have been having really bad problems with her and ear infections. I've taken her to the doctor about, you know, maybe monthly. They've put her on the antibiotics, the ear washes, and it'll improve while she's on the medication. But then as soon as she's off the medication, the symptoms come back again. Okay. Okay. So I finally did a um, ear culture on my own because <laughs> I didn't recommend it, and it came back showing Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Yeah, and I was sensitive to everything, and then staph coagulase, which was only sensitive to vancomycin, cefazolin, and augmentin, 
and then also some gram-negative rods. So I've currently got her on another course of antibiotics. I've changed her foods four times because they were thinking maybe it might be allergy-related. But, mm-hmm. you know, she's just so miserable with that ear, and I'm just trying to figure out a solution to get this ear infection under control. Okay. All right. couple thoughts that I have right off the bat. With chronic ear infections, um, very commonly, and especially if you've got a culture and we've got some kind of crazy bugs in there, uh-huh. um, number one thing I would do is I would want to do a deep ear flush and examine the deep part of your baby's ear canals. A lot of times we, we kind of try to treat ear infections by just squeezing ointments and putting washes in the ear. And it can be really challenging in dogs because their ear canal is very different than ours. Ours, you can kind of poke your eardrum and you can see everything very easily. Dogs have that eardrum that goes down, um, it has a vertical part and then a horizontal part. And you can't get down to the eardrum very well. So when we have a pet under anesthesia, it allows us to get all the garbage out, examine the eardrum, because in some cases we can actually have infection trapped down by the eardrum or even behind the eardrum. So oh. um, doing it. Doing a deep ear culture and flush would be important. So that would be one thing as far as a step up being more aggressive. Rather than just treating the outer part of the ear, let's get down to the the nitty-gritty inside that ear. Make sure we're cleaning as best we can. That makes your home care more effective because you can apply things more directly to the ear canal. Um, You don't have all this other garbage in the way. Um, so that's one thought. And then definitely, you know, I, I'm glad you cultured, and I would like to see that being done just to even measure how well this ear is controlling. Because um, I've had dogs where they'll shift their um, their population. So we may have completely, uh, say, m- maybe a yeast infection, and then it can shift completely to a bacterial infection or to a more resistant organism. So oh, okay. that is also important. Um, okay. And then making sure we're using, uh, you know, other apps. Other avenues, so orals plus topicals for me are very important. So I, I'd like to make sure we're tackling all bases there. Oh, okay. Uh, and let's see. In a retriever, um, I like the idea of a food allergy, making sure we're going with hypoallergenic diets because um, that can really make a big difference for these guys. And I see a ton of retrievers that their number one sign of food allergies are chronic recurrent ear infections. So, oh, um, Okay might be a matter of just looking at making sure we're using um, truly a hypoallergenic diet. So either a hydrolyzed protein diet or what we call a novel protein diet. Um, So not so simple as just saying I'm going to switch brands. Um, We want to make sure we're sticking with those routes and um, kind of a lengthy conversation about which different diets. But you can talk to your veterinarian about different uh, foods that are in both those groups that might be options for you. What groups did you say again? One is called hydrolyzed protein diets, and that's basically where the proteins are still there. Say you, you know, maybe it's a chicken-based diet, um, okay. but the proteins go through a processing so that they're kind of sneak by the immune receptors in the gut, so okay. they don't cause the immune effects in the body. And then the novel protein diets are the other group, and okay. that's where we look at kind of exotic things like, uh, you know, used to be lamb and rice, used to be exotic in the 80s. Now we look at things like duck, um, venison, even kangaroo foods that the pet hasn't seen and their digestive tract hasn't seen so it's kind of novel to them and oh, okay. um, 
okay. may be less likely for a uh, dietary reaction. And do that for maybe, you know, six, eight weeks, and then we hope to see an improvement with some of those signs. And then the final thing that I'd say would be the homework, if they uh, haven't talked to you about, would be maybe seeing about screening her thyroid level, because that's another ongoing condition that can we can commonly see ear infections kind of tag along and especially in a retriever I like to look for thyroid disease uh, it's very common in uh, golden retrievers Labrador retrievers so um, might be worth a little blood stick and check that out so I hope those are some good ideas for you Deborah and uh, you know I, I feel your pain I have a, a lab with some ear issues from time to time so it is a bit of a, a, a chronic tackling and staying on top of things so well, I guess we so to I'm you. going to address those issues with her veterinarian, especially having them screen for the thyroid. Very good. Well, best wishes to you and your baby. Okay, thank you. one 405 You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at one 405 8405 If you've ever shared your home and heart with a charmingly naughty animal who's always up to mischief, you'll fall in love with MacGyver, the matchmaking klepto kitty in The Secret Life of Mac by Melinda Metz. Hilarious and heartwarming, this possum romantic comedy will have you laughing out loud as Mac, the thieving tabby, steals your heart. The Secret Life of Mac by Melinda Metz is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Visit kensingtonbooks.com for more info. I'm Beth Stern on Animal Radio and adopt from your local shelter. Need a fix of the good stuff? Get more Animal Radio with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. If you could see Judy right now screening all 17 lines that we have here, you you have a bunch of calls set up there for Dr. Debbie and Joey Villani in just a couple of minutes. I know it looks chaotic, but I've got it all organized. Yeah. I know the callers. There's, I know who's in queue. I know who's been waiting the longest. There's a method to your madness, huh? Yeah, there is. Hi, Elliot. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. What's going on with your pet? Dr. Debbie's right here. Well, okay, hi there. well, he's two and a half year old chihuahua. He's, well, he's got a little bit of mini pin in him, about an eighth, 16th. But uh, all his life, he's, his stools have been kind of thin and watery, or three or, or I call it uh, slimy. Uh, he got spoiled on people food, and I'm trying to get him back on regular dog food. Okay. And it used to be if you could let him go hungry enough, he would start eating his dog food again. And he's been throwing up. Oh, okay. Wow, we got a lot going on there, Elliot. And when you say slimy poops, he's always been that way? I mean, has that, have you varied his diet? Has he, was that when he was on predominantly dog food? Uh, yeah, it was. Well, actually, we got him when he was 10 weeks old. My son had him. And evidently, they started him on dog and people food from day one. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get him to get back on regular dog food. But, yeah, his food's been slimy pretty much all his life. Okay. You know what? That really bothers me when I hear that he's always had some digestive disturbance. If he's always had loose poop and now intermittent vomiting, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to say that, that with, this is really a health problem we're talking about and not so much just a diet preference issue. Um, the reason being is that we humans unknowingly create medical problems for our pets. And a great way to do that is to feed 
table food. And I can tell you I had a good intention pet owner just the other day fed prime rib to his pet. And wouldn't you know, vomiting and diarrhea ensued. It's not that it's a bad cut of meat. It's not that it was undercooked. It's just dogs thrive best digestively when they're on a consistent, stable diet. When we give them things that we eat, we're varying their diet from day to day and even from hour to hour. So it's best to try to stick to that food. Um, Now, the first thing I'm going to say is with that chronic digestive disturbance, I am going to, if he were here in my office, I would be doing fecal tests and I would be doing blood work on him and parasite tests because all of these things can cause chronic problems. And if we're not addressing that, all of my recommendations for trying to get him to eat a certain food are just going to be as worth as worthless as a piece of paper. So um, that's very important. And if you haven't already done a good examination and concern with your veterinarian, I'm going to recommend that. And come armed with poop sample in hand to your veterinary visit for a concern like this. It, it, it helps tremendously to have that poop information up front and uh, visible for the veterinarian to look at. So that's your first part right. of your homework there. Um, yeah, now, I'm, I'm over the road. I'm going to have to try and get home or he find a vet somewhere out here on the road. Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm and, worried and about it. He's my little baby. Absolutely. And, you know, with traveling, you, that does open up a whole additional um, can of worms, if you will, as far as when it comes to things like parasites and intestinal worms. So if you're traveling a lot all across the country, and he's going with you, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay, so, you know, this, this fellow, more than any other dog, a traveling pet needs to be on regular heartworm preventative and regular deworming for internal parasites. If you're not already on that, that, too, will kind of give you extra weight to get, get him to the veterinarian because we need to be doing that for his health and preventative care. He's um, for another heartworm pill, and uh, uh, I haven't dewormed him in a while. I guess I should start doing that before, you know, before I get to it. Absolutely. Now, and then I guess if we could fast forward and say his health is good and we're just looking at how do we get a picky eater to eat, uh, there's a lot of tips there. And it's hard if us humans complicate the situation by feeding from the table or feeding treats. So some uh, general strategies are to set the food down, keep it down for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then to remove it. For a picky eater, that would be very important to set a mealtime strategy and get the pet in the mindset that this is when food is offered and this is when it goes away. If he knows an hour later you're going to give him something off the, off of your plate, he's, he's going to hold out for that. And dogs will go three days or more without eating, just with the battle of wills. And yeah. uh, you have to de- kind of design your line in the sand. For everyone, it's different. For me, it's three days. And that's how long I will go without a pet eating barring that they're in good health and everything else is fine. And, um, you know, if you stick to that tough love, you can do it. Now, the other things you can do would be to increase the the dog's exercise. Um, More exercise and more calories you burn, the more you're going to eat. Unfortunately, it is true. And all of us people trying to lose weight, that you don't (laughs) want to hear that. But it does rev your metabolism. So getting some daily exercise is important. And then setting up some structure to the feeding time. So we're going to talk about setting the time, but also certain bowls. Some pets prefer plates. Some prefer bowls. Some just like to eat off of a dog mat. So you have to find what is best for your dog, what they like, and to really reward the eating behavior. 
So that means we don't want to reward the lack of eating, which many humans do, where we we baby talk the dog. Oh, good doggy, good doggy, good doggy. But they're not doing anything good. They're sitting there staring at a full bowl and not eating. So you want to right. reward your dog when he's eating and, and hold back that praise when he's not. And uh, you know, work on those diet strategies there. But I would say that I think a good health exam and maybe even a special diet uh, for potential uh, food allergies and such might be in your doggy's reality here if we can uh, get you lined up with your veterinarian and then working on some of these behavioral tips there. Good luck with that, Elliot. one 405 8405 You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at one 405 8405 Hi, this is Joyce Hewitt on Animal Radio. Please stay and neuter your animals. Thank you. Here is today's top automotive news story. I'm Nick Miles. Ford has completely redesigned the new 2020 Escape. The exterior design inspired by the sixth generation Mustang and the Ford GT stands lower, wider, and longer, and 200 pounds lighter than the current model. Every model in the lineup, whether powered by one or the other EcoBoost engines or the all-new hybrid powertrain, targets an estimated range of at least 400 miles per tank, with a standard hybrid targeting an EPA estimate of 550 miles a tank. Check out your new vehicle at OurAutoExpert.com. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. If you're just now joining us, uh, good timing, an amazing hour coming up. We're going to be talking to actress and model Katie Cleary in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. All throughout the show, I've been giving you little tidbits from the Wompley survey of animals. Uh, They did a bunch of surveys about what are the busiest days, how much we spend on our animals. We found out last hour that one of the top days for veterinarians is just before 4th of July. I figured now I've... Top days like a busy day? Most busy days. And uh, Dr. Debbie says for her personally, it's just right after 4th of July. And I can understand. I can see. Yeah, that, that seems to make more sense to me. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Gonna... But you know, before Fourth of July would be all those people getting sedatives and trying to get into your bed. Oh, there you go. Okay. And I guess people do go on vacation, so they go away earlier, so they're at that destination, so they're on the road traveling beforehand. On this survey is the top busiest days for pet stores. Those are pretty easy, right? We can guess those, right? Probably right around the holidays. Right around Christmas. Yeah. Uh, December 22nd, the busiest day for sure. pet stores. Right. And that's, you know, right up against the holiday there. They uh, they figure that last minute uh, toys for the dogs, right? And, exactly. And the cats. Procrastinating pet owners. Yep. Uh, the second is the uh, week before Christmas, the 21st, and then uh, before Easter, the day before Easter. The middle of December, and then March 10th for some strange reason. I don't know what <laughs> that's, that's odd. What that's about, but your average pet store during that will make between two and three thousand dollars a day, and the and the stores that make the most money. What cities do you think they're in? Well, Baltimore, Maryland tops the charts for the most that we spend Woo-hoo! at a pet store. I would have said L.A. Would you? Actually, California doesn't even show up in the top five. It, it's wow. Seattle, Nashville, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Richmond, Virginia. Wow. And this, of course, yeah, I would have thought Seattle because yeah, of all you? the tech dogs up there. Yeah, there see, are I would of, have thought yeah. like Portland and Denver. Yeah, no, we all spend a lot of money on our animals, and in fact, if you're listening right now, it's because you love your animals a little more than uh, most people. 
Okay, we're going to head to the phones in just a couple of seconds here. Lori, what are you working on for this hour? Well, the Centers for Disease Control has another, another one, a pet warning about a pet that carries salmonella. Let's take a call for Dr. Debbie. We have Joseph on the phone. Hey, Joseph. Welcome to Animal Radio. Hi. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm in Cottonwood, California right now. I'm a truck driver. Truck driver. Okay. Well, drive carefully, please. What's going on? No, I'm I'm parked. Good. I have a a Jack Russell, and um, he's had a couple times in the last few weeks where he's uh, gotten up, and he started get, he started shaking, and he kind of I guess last night my wife said he fell over, and uh, couldn't get back up, and then it it just went away after a minute or so, and he was fine. Okay, and has that been something that's just been recently that's come on, or has he done that for a while? No, this is the first time this happened was uh, on New Year's Eve, and okay. then it happened again the other night. So twice, and it's the first time we've ever noticed this. Okay, and what does he do when he has this? Does he actually lose any control of his urine? Does he defecate, or does he just kind of fall over? Uh, he well, the first time he didn't fall over. Second time, my wife said he did, but no, he doesn't. Nothing like that. No, he just kind okay. of loses his balance and he's like shaky. Okay, and any kind of association to what he's doing right prior to this? Is he eating, sleeping, playing, doing anything unusual right right before the episodes? Well, um, the first time he was in his bed, my daughter said he, he kind of jumped up out of his bed right before it happened. And okay. uh, the second time, I think my wife said he was over by his bed. So okay. he might have been sleeping both times. Okay. And, you know, at this point, I'd say we may have a challenge determining exactly what is causing the episodes. But there's there's basically a couple main things. Number one would be that we could be actually having a form of a seizure disorder. Because um, not every seizure looks like that typical epileptic seizure that you may be familiar with. Um, some seizures can be very mild for dogs where they can just have a trembling of one body part or they can even steer off into space. So something like this where he's kind of having combination of issues of having some trembling as well as kind of falling down that would have to be high on my list of concerns is that we could have a seizure and the causes of seizures can be a lot um everything from epilepsy to toxins to liver disorders to blood sugar issues so there can be definitely a lot of causes within that diagnosis now there are also pets that can have uh, what we call syncopal episodes and that can sometimes be from heart problems so even if a pet does Go ahead. The, the one time when I was home, um, I had, after he started acting, you know, kind of shaky, I kind of picked him up and I, you know, I put my hand under his chest and I could feel his heart really racing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really pounding, you know, so it was like he was scared or something. Sure, sure. And, um, the, the challenge with the heart related problems is that sometimes that can be a little harder to pick up. We might have to do something like an EKG um, or even a a chest x-ray or an ultrasound to find out a little bit more about that. Um, But I think the big thing is that we we do need to start getting some diagnostic tests to figure out what direction we're going Um, because there are some pets that these episodes will get worse and worse, more frequent, and we may need to get them on some medication if we're dealing with a seizure type disorder. If we're dealing more with a heart based problem, diagnosis 
diagnosis is going to be key because the last thing we would want to do is give him an anti-seizure medicine if he's got a bum heart and we've got a, a rhythm problem with his heart. So um, that, that has a totally different kind of approach to things. So I think that this is the time when I talk about getting him into the vet. And it's ideal if we can get a pet that just has the episode and we get him to the vet when they're actually coming out of it. Because sometimes um, when blood work is, we're talking about that, that's when sometimes we'll pick up some different changes on lab work or even with a, a heart tracing that might not be there at other times. Okay. Can't always ask them to do that right before you go to the vet, but um, it just it, it works out um, to give us the most information if, if we catch a pet when they're having one or coming out of one of these episodes. Okay. All right, yeah. well, thank you. Okay, and I, I certainly hope that um, you know we can get a handle on these things. And there are some you know situations where not everyone can do a lot of tests, do a lot of. I, I know people probably say, "Doc, you always talk about doing tests," and I just don't have the money for it. I'd have to say that there's a lot of very simple things, and they all basically start with a physical exam. So the doctor's ears, eyes, and nose—believe it or not—the nose is very valuable in many cases—can um, really help us make some of those determinations and pick what test might be the most useful to to get that answer. And sometimes it's trying different things and trying different medications. So um, use that teamwork approach with your vet and, and you'll get to the bottom of things. So thank you for All your right. call. And thank I hope you. the little guy, I hope he does well. Um, love the little terriers. Ah, I'm a terrier fan myself now. This is Dr. <laughs> Debbie and we're waiting for your call at 1-800. I'm sorry. Oh, is this a blooper show? What's the number? You remember the number? I'm trying so hard. 1-866-405-8405. Come over here. I just want to give you a little hug. <laughs> hey, Alan, welcome to the show. Yeah, my name is Alan. What's going on, Alan? Yeah, my mom's dog was following my mom yesterday, like vacuuming. And my mom was vacuuming yesterday, and her dog got something in her eye. And the dog died. Like and the dog died? Oh, in the dog's eye. Oh, in the dog's eye. Yeah, oh, I, my I, gosh. Okay. And so what is the doggy doing right now? The doggy is, like, like trying to, like, get something out of the dog's eye. It's not getting out. And okay. my mom is, it... is wondering what should she do to get it out. Okay. So um, he's rubbing at the eye, scratching at the eye? Yeah. Okay. And is he squinting in it and holding it closed? Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that anytime a dog has um, squinting in the eye, that means there's, there's pain there. So there's discomfort. So my best recommendation is to get him evaluated by a veterinarian because we want to make sure he doesn't have any kind of abrasion on his eye, um, which would be termed a corneal ulcer. Um, so that's the hard thing. When you have a squinting eye, you can have that from pain of any sort. Um, but an ulcer can be very serious. So we don't want to delay that and um, do home care if we're in that level of discomfort for the eye. Um, now, certainly in the short term, the things I would do um, in any emergency kit for people at home with dogs when we're talking about eyes, I want some contact saline rinse that you would use for your um your family members that might have contacts. You can use that as an eye irrigating solution to loosen things that might be under the eyelids or any kind of particulates, any kind of dust or anything like that that might be in the eye. That's perfectly safe for dogs to use that. Um, now, that being said, you can also use things like um, artificial tears that are also sold in the contact, uh, the contact uh, lens aisle. Um, Refresh brand tears is just one of the types of tears that you can put in to help kind of make the 
eyes feel more comfortable. But that's a short-term thing. If that baby's eye is red, squinting, and we're uncomfortable, you really need to get the baby into the veterinarian, and very likely we'd want to do something called a corneal stain. And it's a type of a stain technique that we put um, this dye on the eye, and it helps to outline any kind of scratches or ulcers that could be on the surface of the eye. Um, if we have something like that, there's a certain regimen, certain type of treatment that needs to be done. So that's why it's so important to see your vet if we're in that kind of category of things. Um, and definitely, I'd say at this point, you said this is already the day later that the eye is, he's still squinting? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, that would definitely be a timeline that I'd I'd get the baby to the veterinarian. I just don't like, there's some situations where it's good and there's a lot of tips you can do at home, but there's that point where we cross the line where we are maybe not doing the the best by them if we're delaying seeing the veterinarian. And and I'd have to say this this warrants a call uh, to get the baby in. So tell your mama that I said. (laughs) Gotta go. Thanks Thanks for your call, Alan. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten in part by Critter Cops. I love these guys. There's a new way to find lost pets, and it's becoming pretty popular all over the USA. It's Critter Cops. You'll get huge media blasts of thousands of people about your lost pet. They also offer specialized services for stolen pets. Check out the new way to find lost pets and increase your chances of a reunion. Visit CritterCops.net. CritterCops.net. And thanks, CritterCops, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at 1-866-405-8405. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. Okay, now let's see. We just had a call for Dr. Debbie about panting, a dog that was panting. And now, in response, we have Susan on the phone. Hi, Susan. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm fine. Thank you. Where are you calling from? Uh, Indiana. Indiana. Well, thank you so much for listening. Of course, that's the hometown of our Dr. Debbie. Where where in Indiana were you uh, raised? Uh, uh, Terre Haute. Where? Hey, okay, Terre Haute. I'm from Hammond, Indiana. Okay, just up the road a piece. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Up the road a piece. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to say everybody drives through my hometown if you're going through the uh, uh, Illinois-Indiana exchange in there. Uh, it goes right by Pretty my much. house. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what's uh, so what you, you had a comment about somebody that called in about their panting dog a few minutes ago. What? Yes. A, a gentleman was talking about his dog panting and didn't really know why it was panting because it wasn't hot and he had water and all that sort of thing. And I just was suggesting that I had heard uh, probably a year or so ago a report of some research that had been done on dogs panting and uh, suggested that not all panting is due to heat or stress or uh, fear, but it can also be a form of laughter for dogs. Uh, There's uh, apparently some difference in the sound waves when they analyze them, and indeed it showed that uh, not all panting is the same. 
Oh, wow. Have you ever heard of this, Doctor? You know, I have heard of it. Um, it, it it's kind of older news that I had heard about, but um, and certainly there's... I think there's different contexts that we can look at and when a pet is panting. Um, and I would also kind of base that along with, um, I think they were looking at shelter dogs that were, um, they were assessing panting and, and whether it was associated with play. Um, mm-hmm. So when, when I have a pet that's, um, that we're trying to evaluate what's the cause of the panting, I look at the whole picture. Um, you know, what is the pet doing at that time? If they're resting quietly, there's no interactions going on, there's no um, mental, physical stimulation, no noises, um, and they're sitting there panting at rest, um, then it really makes me cause to challenge is there a medical cause for that versus a pet who's sitting while the family's watching tv or they're playing with a toy and they're panting and they have a joyous look on their face um and they're in a relaxed body posture so um yeah i I think there's certainly uh different things that dogs do in nonverbal ways that we really don't understand and we do our best to try to uh, anthropomorphize it yeah yeah (laughs) well what it had occurred to me is it's been Several years ago, and, and a previous dog, I had a rescued Airedale, and it was middle of winter, uh, later in the evening. She was lying there in the living room, not hurting from anything that I at least was aware of or that she at any time thereafter doctored for, and she was panting. I thought, you can't be hot, and you know, I went through all that checklist of things, and so really couldn't figure out why she might be panting. Did, did you tell her a joke? <laughs> No, uh, maybe she was just looking at me, and that was enough. I don't know, but um, I I couldn't attribute her panting at that time to anything else. And then it was shortly thereafter that I heard this little research thing that had gone on. But uh, yeah. I just thought it was kind of interesting. That is interesting. This is the first time I've heard of it, and Judy has just pulled up a web page here, which, oh, it includes some audio. How cool is that? Okay, so we'll play a dog laughing here in a second as soon as we get that audio up. Animal behaviorist Patricia Simonet of Sierra Nevada College, she did research on this, and she found that, yes, indeed, dogs are capable of laughing, and they typically do so when they're playing. And, oh, look, there's instructions here how to make your dog laugh. Seriously, they're on the level. Really? They're on the level. You know what, can we put a link to to our website? Okay, we'll put a link over at animalradio.pet on how to uh, make your dogs laugh. Well, my dog has a sense of humor. I know that. Yeah? Yeah, so why couldn't she laugh? Sure, sure. Can we play that audio of the dog laughing? Can we? (laughs) That sounds like panting. Yeah, it, it does. does. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. To me, that sounds like a dog that's you know ready to chase that next tennis ball that you just thrown, and it's all amped <laughs> up and excited. So, and I think that's where you know I, I can visually put that a very different picture than a, a geriatric dog laying on the floor panting while everyone's like watching you know Deal or No Deal in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for calling, Susan. We appreciate that. Sure. Toll free one eight six six four zero five eight four zero five to reach out to the Dream Team right now. See, I know Ladybug has a sense of humor because when I tell her to go in her crate, she looks at me and gets that look in her eye, and then she falls over and plays dead. <laughs> so she has a sense of humor. I think that sounds like a, an alarm clock on a hyperactive battery. Oh, if this was only TV, folks. Actually, probably good that it isn't. 
1-866-405-8405. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten in part by Schmidt's Naturals. Smell seriously amazing and support animal conservation with Schmidt's Special Edition Lily of the Valley Natural Deodorant. It was created in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute, and 5% of each purchase supports animals in the wild. You can learn more at schmitz.com, and thank you, Schmitz, for underwriting Animal Radio. And now an Animal Radio News Brief. I'm Stacy Cohen for Animal Radio. Mr. Ed would have a lot to say on this matter. A horse called Scuppy bit a kid in the face, and a Connecticut court has concluded that horses are a naturally vicious species, and therefore Scuppy's owners should have restrained the horse who had never bitten anybody before to prevent the injury. Well, horse owners and equine enthusiasts are asking the state Supreme Court to overturn that decision, Classifying horses as vicious would make owning the animals uninsurable, and it would jeopardize the state's profitable horse industry. You know what? Horses are so far from vicious. They're scared of even a fly. I know my horse is scared of, like, cats. As soon as it sees this cat, she jumps the, uh, sideways 500 feet, That's and it scares me. They're probably going to overturn that, I think. Get more animal breaking news at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. That's my dog, Annie. She's healthy now, but recently she broke her leg and I had to rush her to the vet. Thankfully, she's protected by Embrace Pet Insurance. They covered her surgery and reimbursed the claim quickly. Embrace offers one simple plan for unexpected accidents and illnesses that you can personalize to fit your budget. To learn more, visit EmbracePetInsurance.com to get a free quote. Policies underwritten by a licensed insurer of American Modern Insurance Group. Coverage subject to policy terms and conditions. Visit EmbracePetInsurance.com for coverage details. This is an Animal Radio News Update. And I'm Lori Brooks. The Centers for Disease Control has once again issued a warning that recent cases of salmonella have been linked to pet hedgehogs, which have gained a lot of popularity. And the CDC is warning pet owners to take lots of precautions to avoid infection because this time a total of 17 people ranging in age from 2 to 95 across 11 states have fallen ill with salmonella, but a common supplier of these affected hedgehogs has not yet been identified. Uh, the salmonella bacteria, by the way, are found in a hedgehog's feces and can often end up on their bodies or in their enclosures. So because of that, and keeping that in mind, here's what the Centers for Disease Control recommends if you have a hedgehog. Always, always wash your hands thoroughly after handling or if you handle anything that came from a hedgehog's enclosure. And if you did, uh, you should actually wash the hedgehog's enclosure down outside with soap and water, but using a hose, but definitely outside. They say never snuggle or kiss a hedgehog. Now, that would be hard if you had a pet that you really love to not kiss it. But um, it could be dangerous because that can bring the salmonella germs directly to your face and basically pretty much yeah. implanting that bacteria in your mouth yes, and sir. into your system. Can I throw one more tip in? It's free. You know, there's no charge for it. Keep your hedgehogs out of your mouth. That's, uh, that's another way to avoid the salmonella. Just yeah, That's free. That's, that's a free, free tip. Thank you. Yeah. What would we do without you? Yeah. And if you have a hedgehog, I have cats and I admit I've... Uh, my cats roam the counters if they want. Uh, if you have a hedgehog, don't let them on the counter. 
anywhere that food is prepared or stored because that, again, will be infected with the salmonella. And then when you eat whatever was prepared on that surface, you're just implanting it in your body. Okay. All right. The U.S. Agriculture Department. This is good news. Sad story, but good news. They say they have stopped their government program that literally injected diseases into cats before they were euthanized. The department's Agricultural Research Service now says the toxoplasmosis experiments on cats and kittens have been, quote, discontinued and will not be reinstated. The protocol involved giving cats toxoplasmosis was basically, they say, so that scientists could study the foodborne illness because cats, it comes out to be that cats are the only host in which Toxoplasmosis can complete its life cycle and produce eggs, and all of that allowed researchers to obtain more information because, you know, how it affects humans. Oh, but it's done. It's over now. A couple in North Carolina got a cute puppy, and, you know, now, of course, the puppy's famous because the puppy quickly appointed himself as the seeing-eye puppy for their 11-year-old golden retriever who had already lost both of his eyes because his glaucoma pain was so severe. They named the puppy Maverick. He came to their family back in January, so just a few months ago, while Charlie, the older golden and now blind dog, was not very excited to have a puppy in the house in the beginning. But that all changed. Maverick, the puppy, soon appointed himself as Charlie's protector. The owners say that that when the two would play, Maverick, the puppy, would realize that Charlie had lost the toy that they were playing with and, you know, couldn't find it. So Maverick would go and pick it up for him, put it right back down in front of Charlie's face so that he could re-engage him in playtime. Very cute. So they posted these on social media. And, of course, everybody goes, oh, and falls in love, including me. Uh And they have their own page on Instagram now. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime, always at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Need a fix of the good stuff? Get more Animal Radio with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Okay, we'll head back to the phones in just a couple of seconds here at 1-866-405-8405. During the commercial break, we were telling Ladybug all kinds of jokes just to try to get her to laugh. And uh, I think we need to go through the instructions here that we have for making them laugh because they are... Uh, they are very real. We'll post them at the website if you want to try to make your dog laugh. Are they detailed? Wait, there... you got to laugh first, apparently. Oh, okay. It, you know what? I'm not going to argue with science here. I'm just going to post <laughs> it over at the website, and, and uh, you try at home. If, in fact, if you get your dogs to laugh, call us, especially if they're when they're laughing. Yeah, well, videotape it. You videotape. Know, there you go. Audio and get, video on it. Video, yeah. Pull out your phone immediately when your dog is laughing Yes. and send it to us, okay? Your voice at animalradio.com I can see my dog is going to actually do an eye roll if I do all of these antics and and I'll get that on video of my dog's going oh forget it ma (laughs) Uh, joining us right now is Katie Cleary she's an amazing model you've seen her on America's Next Top Model in the first season 
not only beauty, but brains, too. She's graduated college with a bachelor's degree in business and marketing. She uh, landed a role in Deal or No Deal and a list, a resume, a CV that goes on for days. But her main passion is advocating for animal welfare issues, and she joins us right now. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? Hi. How are you guys? Very good. Do you have a dog? Oh, I've got 12 animals. I've got nine cats and three dogs. Holy yeah. wow. Have you ever seen your dogs or cats laugh before? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. They laugh at me all the time. <laughs> They're so funny. They really are. Especially Charlie, my first dog. He just looks at me, kind of does the, the head tilt and it's like, what are you doing? It's just, it's, they're hysterical. They really are. Well, I would imagine with so many animals that you're constantly cleaning up. Oh, it's literally like three hours a day. I spend about like an hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half at night. So the kitty litter, you name it. I mean, literally everything. It's, uh, yeah, they're, they're not the cleanliest animals, but it's, it's worth it. Oh, so, <laughs> so worth it. So, so worth yeah, it. Yeah, it's worth it. Worth it. Do you have a, a partner or a spouse? You know what? Um, not right now. Not right now, but you never know. I was going <laughs> to ask. I wasn't inquiring. I'm a married man, but I, I was inquiring to see how, what they thought of your uh, your menagerie of animals, oh, I guess. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, you know, a lot of my friends are like, wow, 12 animals, that's a lot. But, yeah, I do have people helping me, so which is, which is great. My foundation and everything, um, they all, you know, come by and, you know, watch the cats and the dogs and walk them and, you know. They really do a great job. So, yeah. Well, you've jumped into the animal welfare head first. You're you're doing all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started when I was about 11, 12 years old, and um, my mom and I would rescue kittens and bottle feed them, and we would, you know, squirrels, you name it, birds that would fall from the nest. You know, we would rehabilitate them and then re-release um, the wild animals back into the wild and then uh, find fosters and, and forever homes for the kittens. So um, I grew up, you know, rescuing and saving animals, and actually we had um, a vet, a family vet growing up, a family friend. So, you know, it was really convenient. So any injured animal, we just take directly to him. He would, you know, uh, rehab them, and then, you know, we would do our part and then re-release them. So it was, it was pretty amazing. I always knew I wanted to get involved in animal welfare. I just didn't know to what capacity. So I started in entertainment at a really young age, 11, 12. And then um, kind of in the middle of that, um, I worked with um, on a campaign for World Wildlife Fund for tiger conservation. And at the time, there was only 5,000 tigers, and now there's only 2,500 tigers left mm-hmm. in the wild. Um, so, you know, it's um, right now we're, you know, you're, we're in the sixth mass extinction. So my, my passion has always been endangered species and how to prevent extinction of endangered species and big cats and elephants and rhinos. So, um, you know, it's, it's always been my passion. And, you know, rather than being a zoologist or veterinarian, I uh, kind of utilize entertainment as that platform to raise awareness for animal welfare through legislation, through films, through my news network. You know, uh, we, we work on a lot of issues. What's Peace for Animals? That's your organization, right? Yeah, so I started Peace for Animals in 2012, and we've done a myriad of campaigns. We've rescued farm animals. We rescue, you know, um, dogs from, you know, the, sadly the kill list at shelters because, you know, there's so many animals that are so adoptable, but a lot of people are afraid to go in shelters, as you know, to rescue them. So, um, you know, we'll we'll pull them and then rehabilitate them and then find them a good home. So we actually just did that a couple days ago with a husky um, at, at a, the Downey shelter. So, you know, uh, we do everything. We do campaigns. We support legislation. Um, we I produced a film on Netflix called Give Me Shelter about animal welfare. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, and then the second one we just finished called We Are One. So um, it'll be the follow-up to Give Me Shelter, and hopefully, hopefully it'll be on Netflix. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, is there a website? How can people get your newsletter or any, any of that information? 
Yeah, just go to worldanimalnews.com, and, um, and every day we do uh, three to, to five articles, depending on, you know, today I think we have about three up. Um, there's one about the Russia releasing the beluga whales. I don't know if you heard about that one, that were held captive, and um, a couple other ones about um, a zoo in, in Puerto Rico. So we, we highlight, you know, worldwide. We have partners around the world, do a lot of anti-poaching in Africa as well, um, you know, anti-poaching um, support, anti-poaching on the ground. Um, actually, a, a women's um, anti-poaching team in Zimbabwe. So um, that's one of our main partners. So, you know, we kind of, um, we're all over, all over the place, all over the board. <laughs> mm. We highlight everything. Do you uh, allow all the animals uh, free roam of the house? Are they allowed in bed with you at night? Uh, or do they? Oh, have... yeah. Really? We're all snuggling, all snuggling. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, the cats are difficult, though. The cats, you know, they're nocturnal, so they keep you up, but the dogs are definitely right by me all the time. Wow. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the website, peaceforanimals.net, and that's the number four. We'll put links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.pet. We'll head back to the phones next. You're listening to Animal Radio. Phones are open at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, this is Fred Willard on Animal Radio, and I, I'm, I'm begging you, spay and neuter your animals. I'm sitting up and begging. I'll, play, I'll go over and play dead if you want. I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. Here is today's top automotive news story. I'm Nick Miles. Dealers had to relinquish their phones before seeing an early build of a two-door Bronco and being told that a four-door version would also be offered. The off-road lineup includes two and four-door Broncos, the baby Bronco, and a new unibody pickup, according to sources with insight on Ford's product plans. The Bronco will be available in late 2020, as soon as three months after the baby Bronco. The pickup is expected in 2021. To see your new car, go to ourautoexpert.com. Check out Animal Radio highlights. All the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to animalradio.pet. Oh, how cool is that? You can get Dr. Debbie's advice today without getting the cold she has because you'll be on the phone with her hundreds of miles away. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) all of us in the studio will be sick next week. You poor girl. Well, you're around a lot of people, but you got a little head cold today. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah, just a a little cold slash combo of allergies. So, you know, I feel like one of those poor kitties that comes into my office with a congested nose and is (laughs) can't breathe. And we're all sitting there going, oh, yeah, they can't eat because they can't smell. Well, yeah, I can agree to that. You know, nothing tastes good because when you can't breathe, you can't smell. So it really helps me better understand, you know, dogs and cats when they have a lot of congestion um, and how mm. they just don't want to eat. You know? That never stopped me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, could you please wear this mask for the rest of the show? Is that okay? Yeah, I will be considerate. And I, don't, I have little Lysol wipes, so that's fine. I'm okay. not offended. Thank you so much. Uh, well, well, I love the, that about you. Isn't She's very considerate. She's yeah. a giver. Yeah. She really is. Uh, there, which Is that the hotline? Is that the hotline right now is ringing? Oh, the boss is calling. Holy moly. We've done something wrong, I think. <laughs> okay, we better go to the to the other phone line. Hi, Maureen. Hi there. How are you? Very good. Where are you Hello. calling from today? Reading, Pennsylvania. Love Reading. W-E-E-U, our affiliate there. That's, yes, that's correct. I have Dr. Debbie right here. Come on over, Dr. Debbie. Hi, hey Dr. Debbie. I'm calling because I have a new rescue pup, and I even have what they call the break 
break fast bowl, and she just takes down, chows down this food, and it's small kibbles like you would not believe. And I'm wondering what I can do to to stop that because I'm afraid it's not good for her, and I'm afraid she's going to get. I think I think I'm trying to think of the terminology when a dog ingest food and they don't um, they don't chew it well. We do worry about bloat if a pet eats really bloat. fast and gorgeous That's the right word, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, is she currently having any health problems with it, or you're just being cautious and, and being proactive? Well, I'm I'm being proactive about it, and, I, and, I'm tr- and I, to be honest with you, I'm lifting her face even away from this bowl because I'm afraid that she's going to throw up because she just ingests this. She, she ingests this like, like she's never eaten before. And she's how old? One to one and a half. Okay. And is she the only dog in your home? I do have another dog, yes, and that other dog is eight. Yes. Okay. And are they fed together and out of the same bowl, different bowls? Oh, they're fed out of different bowls. Absolutely, yes. Okay, good. All right. Well, the first thing that I'll say is that there is definitely, it's well recognized that sometimes pets that are adopted or that come from... Oh, tough beginnings it can sometimes have issues with food when it comes to eating and eating it all up very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Some of it we don't know what experiences, you know, the pet had on the road uh, beforehand. Exactly. But it can can leave some impact mentally. So some, some tips definitely that um, that bowl that you're referring to is kind of a cool bowl that um, some people make their own at home. But it's actually a pre-made bowl that has little like, uh, pegs that kind of sit up, yeah. stick up from the bottom yeah. of the bowl. So the idea is it slows down how fast the pet can ingest the food from the bowl. Uh, Some people will just overturn cups and put them inside the bowl, and you can do the same thing at home. But if we're still doing uh, that behavior, um, the other strategies that we can try now, (laughs) it doesn't work for every dog. Some dogs, I will try to switch them over to free feeding or open feeding because part of the concern is that, oh, my God, this food's going to be gone, and I'm not going to have any. Okay. Um, it only works for certain dogs, and I usually prefer it to be in a single dog home um, okay. because then we have less worry about resource competition. Um, trying okay. to eat your food really fast so the other dog can't get to it. Well, the other and, dog doesn't go anywhere near her bowl. She goes near the other dog's bowl. Sure, sure. <laughs> and what we have to recognize is that she, for whatever reason, has concerns about that food not being there Um when she gets back or that it's going to be taken away from her. So um, we need to do whatever we can to reassure her of that. So um, a lot of times I'll try to practice uh, quiet behaviors before feeding just to kind of help resume some control and to decrease the pet's anxiety. So something simple like saying, okay, the food's sitting in front of you. Let's practice a sit or a shake paw, and then you give a command to say, okay, it's all right to eat. Um, That helps to kind of connect the dog to say, all right, everything's okay, the food's there, and it kind of diverts the mind. So that's one just training thing. But otherwise, other strategies, we can go to giving food in other ways so that she has to kind of work for it. Um, There's a lot of different toys out there, uh, the Kong toys, the Busy Buddy toys, where you can put the actual pet's food inside toy items and it gives them something to do gives them a little more time um, to ingest the food and it kind of makes it a little bit more interactive and fun so that's one way also to kind of make mealtime stretch out a little bit and to make it a little bit more fun i've had some folks hiding food in the house um yeah you just got to watch for that really determined dog like probably my labrador that would probably eat um through furniture under carpet to get to the food so 
Okay. Um, but I think that, you know, that and just being patient uh, and uh, giving her a little extra time, uh being watchful for your other dog because even if the other dog isn't physically going into that bowl, sometimes uh, that psychological just fear yeah. or stress that the other dog might. So you may consider feeding them separately just to kind of ease her mind. Okay. Thank you very so, much. Thank you, Maureen, thank you. for your well, call. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, it has just flown by once again. It is time for us to get on out of here. We're all going to walk our animals, our, our flamingos, our iguanas, and all. The, except Dr. Debbie. She's going home, and she's going to go get some sleep. Poor girl. She needs, can get my jammies. Yeah. And um, if you want some good reading during the week, check out Dr. Debbie's books, Yorkshire Terriers, Shih Tzus, Pugs, and Mini Schnauzers, all four separate books, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. And you can get links to those over at our website at animalradio.pet. We'll see you next week for more Animal Radio right here. Bye-bye. Bye. Hope you're feeling better. We're going to pick up dog poop. This is Animal Radio Network. Network.